presented on this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes. While many of the people here have some form of mental health training, they are not your mental health professional. This podcast is not a replacement for mental or physical care or for the diagnosis of any mental health illness or condition. So hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us once again for the Guardian's MH podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Goku, and with me tonight is Joe. How are we doing? Nate. How's it going? Alan. What's up? And Matt. Hi. If you're joining us for the first time, Guardians MH is a 501c3 nonprofit focused on promoting mental health awareness throughout the gaming community. We strive to be a first step in assisting individuals with gathering meaningful resources in a safe and inclusive atmosphere. Our podcast is just another way to normalize talking about mental health and is a fusion of mental health topics and gaming. So tonight, please welcome our guest, Dr. Grizzly. How's it going, Doc? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Greatly appreciate this. Really excited to have you come on. I was like, Doc Grizzly said, yes, he's coming on. This is exciting. True story. He's not even exaggerating. I get very excited. I'm, I like I'm it. a very excitable person. It's so. good energy. I like it. Yeah. For the people that may not know who you are, just tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure, absolutely. Um, so like as you said, I go by you know Dr. Grizzly on Twitch, um, which is pretty much the only place that I stream. But I kind of, I guess the way I, I sort of brand myself is I, I, I tell people I'm a queer variety streamer on Twitch, um, although I think I play Dead by Daylight more than anything um, here lately. Um, but that I'm also a licensed psychologist. And so really where I integrate a lot of mental health into my like Twitch channel is predominantly on Sundays where I, I sort of answer like anonymously posed mental health questions from chat. Um, and it's a really, it's really wonderful experience, like in terms of like supporting each other and getting out like really good mental health information. Um, but outside of streaming um, in my like psychologist life, I, I work, actually work with military veterans currently um, doing okay. like mental health assessment. All right. Uh, I haven't worked with um, military veterans. I've worked with up here in the Great White North. We have the RCMP. So I did mm-hmm. a lot of the, the assessments for the RCMP. But tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about for you, how is it working with military veterans? It can definitely be challenging <laughs> at times. Yeah. I mean, I think I think veterans are very much an underserved community, um, mm-hmm. especially with respect to getting you know quality mental health assessment. And the VAs are obviously you know, incredibly busy and just overworked. And, and I, I think just have a hard time keeping up sometimes. And so it's, it's rewarding to, you know, try to fill in that gap somewhat. And, and hopefully I kind of serve as this, you know, I, I write these assessment reports to hopefully get them connected to, you know, a mental health provider or, you know, whatever services would be most helpful mm-hmm. for them. So it's, just, it's pretty rewarding in that way. Ah, report writing, what they never <laughs> tell you about in school. I know. <laughs> if I knew how much paperwork there would have been, to do the job of a psychologist, I don't know if I would have went to grad school. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know if any. I don't know if everybody else has this experience, but it's also like the different ways you have to write things, depending on where you work. Mm-hmm. So, like f- my internships were very varied when I was in when I was in my uh, when I was in grad school. But now, when I got out, you know, I'm writing how I normally would at the hospital, and my supervisor is yelling at me. I'm like, I didn't know. Nobody taught me. <laughs> agree like that is a very underserved um population at times um mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And but also I, I I wish I actually worked a lot more, had the opportunity to work within within with VAs and within mm-hmm. uh places like that. Cause it's a it's a tough job, but also at the end of the day, it's gotta be a bit rewarding too at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But awesome. How did did was was that a field you were looking to kind of go into or did you kind of fall into it? Yeah, that yeah. Was I was like, not actually, not really. Um, but yeah, so, no, no. So the job I, I so for like internship and my first job was actually in a university counseling center, and that is kind of like while I was in mm. grad school, what I really envisioned like me doing. And I yeah. love that you know, I was working with college students. Um, that was an age range that just is really fun to work with, and because I, I like LGBTQ mental health stuff so much, like that that developmental like time of life is there's a lot of yeah, identity prime time right yeah, there. <laughs> it's a lot of identity yeah, formation absolutely. happening there and and it was at a school in rural mississippi you know in, in an environment that is not incredibly supportive uh, often um and so it was it was a really it was a really fun job but i mean honestly um i kind of just fell into this because this allowed me to travel a little bit my partner was li- you know having to work an hour away just like just logistically um wasn't really working and so kind of fell into this and I worked with veterans a little bit in graduate school like on some practicums and stuff and I liked it and so this will be at least where I stop you know here for at least a little while I feel the same way about how I ended up working with substance abuse (laughs) I it kind of just fell but but I ended up loving it so it's Mm -hmm. something I still continue to work with today but I it's almost the exact same story it just Mm -hmm. kind of came across my lap and I was like okay I need something so sure let's Mm go (laughs) but I and it's but again, similar, like I ended up loving it. Yeah, absolutely. Very steady. And it it's nice. one thing that I miss about working in the public sector. So I work in private practice and I, I see a lot of things, but I really do miss working in the public sector. Mm-hmm. I, I don't miss the hours, the <laughs> maltreatment <laughs> and the, the whole bureaucracy of it. Mm-hmm. But I really miss working with a big team and, feeling you can really have an an impact on the people that may be better served Mm -hmm. at times. For me, I I worked in a hospital and and more particularly in a federal institution and working with inmates, you would essentially be bringing them from bottom floor to Mm -hmm. hopefully something that is much more manageable. Absolutely. So to kind of, I guess, transition, how did you get into streaming? It's also a super good question. Um, it's like <laughs> It kind of ties into what, you know, I, I was living in rural Mississippi um, yeah. and being a, a openly gay man in Mississippi and even at the university I was working at, one of really the only like openly gay like staff or faculty members, it was just a lot. Um, and it was really hard to find a like sense of community in that way in the area we were living. So I've been like watching, I, mean, I play video games my whole life and I've, I've been watching Twitch. And so um, I just thought like, Oh, this would be kind of a fun way to potentially, you know, perhaps like form my own community, connect with other, you know, queer people on the internet. Like it kind of just was like, I kind of just dabbled <laughs> in it at first and yeah. it sort of just kind of picked up speed. And I really kind of fell in love with it. That's awesome. When and you- I think yeah. now even more than ever Twitch is that spot where people can really build these these communities mm-hmm. with the, the pandemic not many people can, can go out or see people 
mm-hmm. having either one Twitch streamer or a variety of streamers that you can kind of turn to and their community makes you feel more welcomed, more at home. I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. And I think what I've noticed is at least in, in my community, like there's a lot of um, LGBTQ people that are, you know, maybe still in the closet or, or still kind of in that identity formation stage and over Twitch or over like discord, even it's like, I think it almost feels like a safer kind of way to sort of like connect with other LGBT people, sort of start to yeah. take the baby steps in the identity formation process, you know, which it feels a little safer than doing something in public or doing something in person. I think like it, it becomes ideal in that way too. I think. Yeah, that makes sense. There's a measure of anonymity to it that you can just kind of create whatever account you want and, mm-hmm go in and, and and start open the conversation and then be like, well, yeah, this is really who I am. If you start to connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it's right. kind of like a transition into comfort, you know, mm-hmm. different right, comfort levels where you start with online streaming chats, discord and stuff. And then you mm-hmm. build that, that confidence in yourself. And then you can start opening up IRL, you mm-hmm. know, and start, you know, being comfortable with that and expressing yourself the way you want to express yourself and be accepted. Mm-hmm. It's that, definitely awesome to have that support network too. Yeah. There's yeah, a absolutely. theory w- without going too nerdy into it. But, uh, there's a theory called uh, self discrepancy ah. theory uh, that was brought up by E Tory Higgins. And it, it, it's something that I use a lot with a lot of my clients is this splitting of the persons into three people. So the true self, the odd self, the ideal. And oftentimes people will very much hide that true self because they either don't feel good enough. Uh, they kind of succumb to social pressures. Mm-hmm. Ex- insert example here. Right. And mm-hmm. when it comes to, uh, interacting with people on the outside, they very much are in that ought self, the person that I feel I have mm-hmm. to be, the role I have to play. Mm-hmm. And it can be rather exhausting. And I really hearken it to a method actor where they are in character all the time and you're analyzing every little move and nuance of you mm-hmm. to suppress it to be in this character. Yeah. When it comes to interacting in a Twitch chat, there is no ought. You're mm-hmm. hidden be- behind that username where you can be you. Mm-hmm. And that's very liberating. Yeah. Now, with having that platform, uh, you do talk to your viewers in a therapeutic sense, kind of right. answering questions, guiding them to resources and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you find utilizing a platform like Twitch? connecting with your viewership and people that tune in and have a question like does, mm-hmm. do you, I think uh, I totally get like like where you're coming from and I think Twitch is honestly when I started doing it it wasn't like it wasn't really even something I planned on doing like multiple times it was just like I had like shared that I'm a psychologist and you know I would get like the occasional kind of mental health question in chat or something like that and um, I decided to start making it a part of my stream as it as I saw people coming back kind of desiring that particular space and kind of like i think you said kind of at the beginning like i i do have to be very clear with people much like you guys do at the beginning of your podcast about that this is not in any way like some kind of replacement for like actual mental health treatment i am not like like i'm a licensed psychologist but i'm not your licensed psychologist right, and, right. but i think know. a lot of people that they haven't really interacted with a lot of mental health professionals mm-hmm. 
in their lives. Because one, there's not many of us. Yeah. And two, a lot of people don't have necessarily have that type of access. So having that accessibility, that right accessibility, there. even though they're, you're not your therapist, right? that they can ask these questions. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think a large part of it at times can be just sort of validating that, like, you know what? Yes, that's a perfectly appropriate thing to talk about in therapy. That's yes. a perfectly appropriate reason to go and seek mental health care. Because I think as we all you know, have interacted with the public, there's a lot of stigma and a lot of um, things like things people think that, oh, I can only go to a therapist for like these specific reasons or my, my issues are not severe enough to, you know, like Mm -hmm. seek out that, that help. Um, And so I think in some ways it can be purely just that validation of like, I I hear you, I I see you. There's people in chat expressing like, oh yeah, I felt that too. You know, I've I've experienced something similar um, that I think it can, I think it can be like a really great thing for a lot of people. One thing I say to a lot of my clients or, or people uh, in stream is therapy is for everyone and anyone for anything. Mm-hmm. If you're the having a hard time with anything, it doesn't need to be a DSM-5 clinical diagnosis. <laughs> I've had people just, I'm having trouble with work. I have trouble with motivation. I have trouble with my relationship. Mm-hmm. But sure, but let's talk about it and work on giving you some better insights, some coping strategies, mm-hmm. so that things can get a little bit easier. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think something that I think me and my community talk about a lot is that, that mental health care in a lot of ways can be preventative in some ways. Like it doesn't, mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have to wait until everything is hit. It's extremely it present- preventative. Right. <laughs> right. But we know right. like, as you know, a lot of people do seek mental health treatment when things have finally hit that, you know, that peak. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it's such a valuable conversation about just like what, what therapy looks like, like really and truly. And uh, I think there's a, like a veil almost for some people or they've only seen it in popular culture. They don't really know like yeah, what does it actually absolutely. look like. They've seen yeah. Dr. Phil or some right. movies with the Freudian the psychodynamic <laughs> yes. approach right. with the couch, right. with the, couch, right. the lounge and chaise. <laughs> couch with the very comfortable pillows, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it's interesting that you say that because I, I think we get that a lot actually in within the Discord is mm-hmm. what is what is the first session look like? What are they going to ask me? What are they going yeah. to tell me? Mm-hmm. What are they going to say? The best way that I describe it is, well, they're going to get to know you. Some questions mm-hmm. might be uncomfortable, but, mm-hmm. you know, we ask that you answer as honestly as you want to at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. so my typical process in a initial session. So for me, I know other psychologists do it differently. For me, it's one, it's the introduction and the uh, limits of confidentiality. And then two, it's, so why are you here? Tell me why you're here. Million dollar question. Yeah. So we we get that information. All right. How is this impacting your life? Mm -hmm. What are the other aspects? So family work that might be surrounding that. And then, all right, let's start building a plan to move forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, something I, I think I get a lot of questions about, like, well, like, how do I, 
how do I go from like, you know, maybe maybe a person's difficulty with like vulnerability or that kind of that kind of openness. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to sit in front of this stranger and like just spill my guts? And yeah, I like to tell people it's like, you know, a good a seasoned therapist knows that they have to earn your trust just like right. you know, any other relationship in your life. And so trust building will be a very fundamental part of those early stages. And the and opposite what I've seen, of that. Yeah. Oh, oh, go ahead, Matt. No, the opposite of that, which I also love, is when you have the person who kind of comes in and is just ready to spill and lets yeah. everything out. I, you know, non-clinical, of course, call it the the emotional vomit, mm-hmm. where it's just it's built up and it's let out. What I love telling everybody, and it, thankfully it works. Like, listen, I know you just did all of that. I don't want you to go home and now be scared. Because, oh, my God, I let this person in mm-hmm. and I spilled all of my guts. I can't go back there, which is which happens a lot, too. And especially mm-hmm. in my field, working with adolescents and <sighs> and substance abuse, coincidentally, mm-hmm. like that happens a lot. It's just the fear of teenagers comes in. It's like, oh, God, I, I just he knows me. I can't go mm-hmm. there now. Right. <laughs> so it's like I tell everybody, like, no, no, it's don't be afraid. Come back. Because let's let's actually process this. Let's go through it together. What I find really interesting is the people that come to my office that have this allure of, I'm just coming here because my wife or husband told me to, it's it's not really going to work. And within five minutes, it's that emotional vomit. (laughs) They're the yeah. ones that they're building this in, <laughs> and within the five minutes, they're spilling their guts. And it's like, mm-hmm. and they ask, they they say to me at the end, I I, I never told that to anyone. Mm-hmm. It, and it's it's the room, it's the environment, it's the safety of this enclosed space that you can say whatever you want, mm-hmm. and no one will judge you. <coughs> so what's Made interesting me feel is- comfortable now. <laughs> well, we try. Because we're really good at our jobs. Right. Um, you are. We try to be. <laughs> it's it. Uh, our last podcast, we we spoke very much about parasocial relationships, mm-hmm. and one of the things that you said before that I wanted to kind of pull back out. A lot of streamers will go vary from this is my community to these are my fans, and mm-hmm. what you said before was you wanted to sort of now that you had a little bit of a platform build mm-hmm. a community which is kind of the word that i love to hear mm-hmm. what was it what was it like kind of being that central figure to that community that you created it it is really rewarding but also i think incredibly difficult at times and yeah. i think um you know like professionally clinically clinically you know we learn all about boundary setting with clients and you know like maintaining but in this setting those boundaries look a little different and it, it was it was kind of a learning experience to to know like okay well, like where do i set these boundaries and as we all know it's a lot easier to set boundaries at the beginning than you know like in the middle or at the end yep. um, yeah but it is it's 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 incredibly rewarding but it it definitely requires me to be very cognizant of my own like emotional state and you know where am I if I'm getting close to burnout if I've had really difficult patients at work that day you know maybe doing that kind of stuff on Twitch is not you know appropriate that day but um it's it's really great and it's it's also just like personally rewarding for me just to forming friendships with other queer people and um it's been it's been really really great it reminds me of an article um 
uh, from Dr. Alima to, uh, what was, was it like a year ago that he released the article that being a psychologist made him a worst husband, which huh. in, in itself is kind of true because you give yeah. so much of your emotional self to mm-hmm. your clients that when you get home, you kind of have nothing left. Mm-hmm. So it's being able that. to recognize when you're doing too much, where that mm-hmm. limit is for you mm-hmm. and knowing when to take care of yourself. You essentially yeah. have to practice what you preach. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just uh, imagine Amanda, my wife here and hitting me saying, yeah, you see, see, he said it. He said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she would do that. Oh I no. She'd see her doing that right oh, now. God. If she, oh, she's asleep now, probably. So, you yeah, know, but she would, <laughs> she'll say it when she listens to the podcast. Oh, absolutely. She will see, I'm going to message. You'll get a message doc. Don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting to see someone walk behind the screen there. Right. You, somebody. <laughs> what are you talking about? Why are you talking about me? <laughs> I love her. She's just very scary. What? <laughs> anyway, but no, that's 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 very. It's amazing, and I love to see. Truthfully, like any of these, any community or any sort of um, any sort of group of people who are just attached to someone who is as positive as yourself, realistically, because it allows for potential just the spread of positivity and even you know i I don't want to you're probably responsible for a lot of people's growth in a sense even without you providing direct uh, clinical care sure but just having just i think just having this the space that you that you've created has greatly assisted a lot and i think it's i love seeing things like that spawn and (laughs) it's just awesome no, I, I really, really appreciate it. It, it means a lot that for you yeah. to say that. Um, and, you know, I think I think some things like I think the community sometimes doesn't realize that a lot of the like, yeah, it's important for me to be in the space or to like host it or you know set its boundaries. But they are what make it really special, and especially in the ways in which you know when somebody asks a question, they're probably sitting there watching their question being read, which I imagine is probably pretty anxiety provoking. But mm-hmm. then to see like a flurry of people being like, "Oh my gosh, I relate to this so much," or "Oh, I've experienced that exact same thing," like just just that level of relatability to say like, "Hey, I see someone that that knows my experience directly." It's the I'm not so powerful. Yeah, it's right. so powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. And we, it's, it's, it is, it is a very powerful thing. And I go back to just because the background that I have, you know, you look at, you know, self-help groups like AA and NA, that's really what they're based off of. Mm-hmm. Be a group, it's a community coming together, sharing their experiences and growing. So, yeah. you know, realistically, that's really, that's what we formed here. You know, we don't have to stand up and say, hi, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic. But at mm-hmm. the same token, we're getting that same sort of sense of community and belonging and space. Mm-hmm. And it does allow for fantastic growth and, and conversations. And I'm just gushing here. So please, someone stop me. Um, <laughs> Being in these environments where you know people like the same things as you do, mm-hmm. that they are open. So it's really hearkening to that building of a community makes people feel safe. Uh, they feel welcome. Um, but for a lot of the streamers, when 
they go from just playing video games on their spare time, which mm-hmm. is for many of us, our self-care is kind of playing video games. Where does that self-care kind of fall into when streaming and playing video games now becomes another job? So yeah. how do you balance that? Now that that's an incredibly good question. And I mean, to be completely like honest, it's, it's that balance is not always easy to to strike, you know, really. Um, sometimes it is like I literally just have to step away um, from my computer and everything else. Because it's like since I do telehealth, I'm literally sitting in the same exact place where yeah. I am when I'm streaming. And I think even just that on an environmental level can be kind of mentally straining. Kind of need a change of scenery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly. Um, but for me, sometimes yeah. it is like I sort of have to like go invisible and everything and just play something. Since I stream so much Dead by Daylight, like it, it's kind of nice that I'm kind of like in this one game and I can step away from that and that can feel like self-care for me because I'm stepping outside mm-hmm. of something I, would norm- uh, I wouldn't normally stream to play on mm-hmm. my own. Mm-hmm. So it's like hockey players playing golf over the summer. Sure. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took the Canadian to say that. <laughs> or, you know, or it's Russell Wilson going to play for, uh, baseball for a little while. That's his self-care, so to right. speak. <laughs> but no, and I I just, I not that we're, I don't know, I guess we could switch over to video games in, in, in a second. What is, because uh, I know nothing of the game, unfortunately. I know the game, but what is that community like? Because I see it streamed immensely mm-hmm. on Twitch. Is there, like, what is it like? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a really fun game. You know, it can be yeah. much like any multiplayer game, you know, fairly toxic <laughs> at times. Okay. Um, but what's something that's really, I think, unique about Dead by Daylight is it has a very strong LGBTQ community, especially amongst LGBT streamers. Um, and there's been some interesting, like, discussions about that, about, like, what what is it about this particular game in which people are, like, murdered and, like, running from a serial killer that, <laughs> that seems to, like, really draw you know, LGBTQ people. That was um, my next question. Yeah. <laughs> but but <laughs> there's some interesting discussions about, like, for a lot of LGBTQ people, we're sort of used to being kind of a boogeyman, you know, in, in some cases, especially, like, historically, if you look like the 70s, 80s, 90s, um, we're used to being othered in that way or sort of, like, playing this... Part of the like, group. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so there's something kind of fun about stepping into this like villain role, um, you know, in this game. And I think, you know, much like um, for, I think a lot of marginalized communities, it's like people, we sort of queer DBD in our own way, you know, with the way we refer to the characters or the way that we talk about the game, the way we play the game with each other. Um, Mm. So it's just really cool that Dead by Daylight, you know, has really attracted and and sort of created this very strong um, queer community. I would cool. never have. I'll be honest I would, with you. I, yeah, I would never. I would never have put have that together. No, no. But again, that goes to probably my experiences. I never would have connected those those things mm-hmm. at all. That's actually that's very interesting. Mm-hmm. And there there needs to be studies on that. If there if there's Absolutely. not, because yeah, that that because that connection, and I don't think a lot of people. I don't know, but I I, I can I can safely say colleagues of mine would probably never be able to put that together but again mm-hmm. it's based off past experiences and and, and just feelings i would assume mm-hmm. well it's the yeah, identifying with a character specific traits mm-hmm. uh, it's again going into parasocial relationships and uh, the identity of certain 
again, traits or characteristics of a character that you feel are synonymous with you or that you want to embody. Mm-hmm. Huh. So that, again, going back to Higgins, it's the, the <laughs> ought or ideal self. Sure. So kind of wanting to, to be something else. Mm-hmm. I need an ounce of like Doc's brain just for like, <laughs> just for memorization purposes <laughs> i don't have that i, I <laughs> a disturbing memory i'm telling you right now man. <laughs> i have Four to years use all of this knowledge my mind <laughs> i just need like a little bit of it and i'll be good i'll be good just like i need to lose like 10 pounds like i just need a little bit of that <laughs> oh you, you want to borrow my metabolism for a minute that'd be great. i'll take that i'll take it listen <laughs> i gotta get i gotta get bikini i gotta get bikini ready summer's almost oh. here <laughs> that Alan that almost- just around the corner <laughs> but speaking of with Bikini the season? pandemic <laughs> moving forward we've seen this much more emphasis on streaming and mental health and the mm-hmm. rise of mental health advocates on stream, I, I can think of quite a few yeah. where people are really turning to, and it, Twitch has and what mixer, but mixer's gone now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what used to be these places where people could just go and be comfortable. Mm-hmm. How are you seeing kind of the the meld of Twitch and mental health? You know, and I absolutely agree with you that it does seem like mental health is is sort of rising very rapidly you know in this streaming space i think like you said as as streaming has become so much more at the forefront of, i think for a lot of people in terms of like entertainment and new people trying streaming themselves given the way we are all sort of quarantined and that type of thing um and i think twitch has tried really hard to to slowly start to integrate that more and more and i do really like to see how yeah. many you know, seeing all these new mental health, you know, um, advocate streamers and, um, you know, my, I think my only concern sometimes with that is, you know, maybe not understanding boundaries super well or trying to mm-hmm. offer advice that maybe is not, you know, in their realm of expertise. But outside of that, mm-hmm. mental health advocates are, are pivotal when it comes to, um, you know, thwarting mental health stigma and dissemination of resources. Like we were talking about earlier, there's not a ton of us mental health providers out there. So we absolutely, absolutely need these advocates here. Um, and it's been great to see more and more of them on Twitch. Without yeah, being too shameless, this is a shameless plug for the uh, streamer <laughs> mental health kit that we worked with geeks like us and mm-hmm. geek therapeutics, which We've worked as a group really, really hard to bring some of these resources for a lot of streamers that may not understand or be aware of how to deal with these types of scenarios. But with the rise of mental health uh, and within gaming and Twitch, we've also seen a rise in people wanting to identify with characters and um also a rise for this diversity mm-hmm. in gaming, where it be outside of gaming or within gaming characters. And I know there is still a lot of ways to go for us to really get to a point where yeah. everyone is really represented equally. But how mm-hmm. have you been seeing this 
rise in diversity mm-hmm. representation in games. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's incredibly exciting to see, like you're talking about that that rise in representation, and for mm-hmm. queer people to be able to see themselves in the media that they consume and the media that they enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the same way, it's it, it opens the doors for a critique of that, you know, from from queer people mm-hmm. as well when that doesn't really. Um, pan out you know in the way that maybe the the developer really thought it would um Mm -hmm. and i think you know there's i think outside of like yeah i i'm on like lgbtq streamer twitter you know there's a lot of discussion about this pretty frequently and sometimes there's these comments from people maybe outside of that community where where it's like well at least you're getting at least you're getting some representation or at least they're at least they're putting you in there um but i think like tell me why is a really good example i think of a game that you know puts that queerness at the very forefront i mean the the main character is trans which i think is the the very first game to ever have a trans main character and the whole entire i've ever heard of any other games that have had that yeah i think it's the only one it's also the character is also voiced by a trans person and the the entire story is based out of trans experiences and i think um a lot of games will have like you know, maybe at the character creation screen, you can toggle some kind of like slider to make your character gay or um, just not straight or um, maybe they put or by the, people. the decisions that you make in a game. Right. Maybe or that makes me think of, of Mass Effect mm-hmm. where you, you could go either gay or, or straight. I think that would be a fantastic you- direction to go. That is a great idea right there to progress in the storyline, exploring and expanding your character's orientation. Mm-hmm. No, that absolutely. would be fantastic. And I think that's where that, where I think a lot of queer people can feel like representation falls short, where it feels like it's just like, oh, you just kind of threw it in there as like an optional thing, but it doesn't really like alter the story or the, the character in any sort of like significant way. Um, I think a lot of games will put queer people as like auxiliary characters who maybe like your character interacts with, um, but like you don't. Like NPC? Right. Like, but like, yeah. I think, um, you know, I know there's been cyberpunk has had a lot of coverage about a lot of different things, but I think this is like a oh, good example. <laughs> yeah, it's a good example of like you may interact with um, queer characters, but you don't really learn much about their lives, their stories. Like their stories aren't really told. Um, and right. I think um, that is really at the deepest level of representation is when not only can we see ourselves in the games we play, but we can also see our stories from either that we've experienced or our, our community as experienced to see that I think is, is the most meaningful representation we could get. Yeah. I've yeah. heard a lot of criticism about uh, cyberpunk, just ticking boxes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I do like the direction actually Bungie went with destiny where it kind of flipped what you were touching on, where mm-hmm. in game representation, there's, it's kind of null. There's not really much, but their lore that they have in the backstory of all the characters and everything mm-hmm. several of their characters are gay and mm-hmm. you get to learn that if you dig deeper into their backstory mm-hmm. where in-game representation it's kind of it, the characters have already been established and this lore is coming out several years after the character was already established so mm-hmm. it's nice to see that i definitely like the idea of studios going that direction with letting your character progress outside of interacting with an NPC, but letting your character orientation and choices Mm -hmm. affect (coughs) everything overall. That would be. 
yeah, amazing thing. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm gushing about telling me why because I think it's just an amazing game in, in terms of like queer representation and queer storytelling. Um, but I think something the developers really that what they did was a really good job was they consulted with a lot of queer advocacy advocacy groups and, and, and other entities to really make sure that they were putting out a really accurate representation of, of what they were trying to do. And I think, you know, I think we've seen plenty of examples of that across different types of media where clearly like someone of that particular group was not really consulted completely. And they, they just ticked the box. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Just like pale was saying in the chat right now, um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, uh, you have the choice of either homo or hetero sexual preferences to mm-hmm. have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And that's that progression that we we're just talking about with representation and doing it with a franchise like Assassin's Creed, which is a huge franchise, mm-hmm. is a big step. I can forward. see, but it's not really talked people, about. Yeah, I can see where people ha- would have an opinion, where, and I can see a lot of people have a negative opinion about that, and. To, to me, looking up from the outside in, I, I don't understand why. I don't understand why people really have that negative opinion of having more representations in games. I know they don't want their things to change and they're very protective of it, mm-hmm. but the medium needs to evolve for it to really survive. It could be a multitude of different reasons as to why they feel that way. It could be mm-hmm. just the environment they grew up in or mm-hmm. whatever could have affected them throughout their lives to have, you know, an opinion of like that. But mm-hmm. I always love seeing inclusion of everyone. I, it's just how I was brought up. I've always viewed everybody as equal. And I, I absolutely love the idea of just a unified community you know what i mean where there's no real difference between everybody everybody's equally you know accepted for who they are and you know what their choices are mm-hmm. i mean don't go around and you know hang people off hooks or anything like in dead sure. by daylight <laughs> right. or anything. but you know what i mean yeah yeah and i think you know a lot of people a lot of people that have those kind of opinions you're referring to i think are so used to seeing themselves represented in video games and the types of media that it it's for them that is the standard like they are used to seeing a, a cis heterosexual white person like that's that's yeah. quote-unquote normal for them yeah. right and so that's hollywood like, right that feels like oh yeah. that's how it's supposed to be so that the meaningfulness of representation doesn't mean probably really anything to them um oh they, i mean they see it as but it using the lgbtq world. as a plot device and they go like no it's right. it's called representation right yeah. But it means the world for that marginalized group mm-hmm. to have someone so they can relate to. Mm-hmm. Now, what about them. Ellie? Last of Us Two. How do you think of how much of an impact do you think that that character's progression through the story mm-hmm. from the first one to the sequel <laughs> with having her orientation be gay? I know when it first got announced, it was big news. Mm-hmm. But do you think that had a positive impact? The game was still very good. Mm-hmm. And and to be honest with you, I haven't played either of the last. I keep meaning to like go back and, and do that. So I can't just like comment I on like really, the, really good. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that. 
But like, I think from like the general, like just LGBTQ community that I've just observed talking about it, I think there were a lot of really great um, opinions about that. And I'm, I'm sure I'm probably not remembering a few different critiques here and there, um, mm-hmm. which I think is, I think is like an important note to make that it's like, we're, we can represent people and listen to their criticisms of that representation to make sure that we improve it and that we, you know, like do it accurately um, as, as we move forward. Um, but see, I feel like, I feel like the rep, the, among the queer community, I feel like the reception to that was pretty positive. But again, right there is really what it is. It needs to be a conversation and acceptance yeah. of criticism mm-hmm. and a, willingness to move forward in a positive direction mm-hmm. and i think that's the aspect really here that's lacking um because like you said the fact we're sitting here and we're really only naming two games right now mm-hmm. and right there is is there the is issue. probably more but they're but, not the mainstream games exactly yeah. exactly and that's really you know and it is sort of this is this disservice to several communities because again, the more and more mainstream and triple a games that sort of come out here without that representation, it further fuels that, that narrative of like, that doesn't matter or that Mm -hmm. population, that community doesn't matter when in fact, it's really legitimately the exact opposite. And that's the, that's the part. And I know the the word gatekeeping keeps coming into my head a lot now because I, I see it a lot on TikTok. Um, but really? um drop a TikTok, I, just just listen, drop that right there. You want to talk about self-care? My self-care is TikTok. Anyway, um <laughs> loss of time is TikTok for me because four hours goes by like that. It's true. But Sorry. that but that idea of of gatekeeping has started to become and trickle its way. And that's why I bring up tip, uh, TikTok, though, is because it's trickling its way in there. And mm-hmm. how this generation handles uh, things is we make fun of it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things are coming out now about gatekeeping. And that's really what's happening is we're 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 refusing entry of mm-hmm. someone here. And that's not fair because it makes me think. I don't remember all the details, but if I remember correctly, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, one of the characters in Star Wars The Last Jedi was written to be bisexual, if I remember correctly. And and people were up in arms about it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. looking on, I was like, did it really change the story at all? Did, no. did the sexual orientation of this character really make that much of an impact? Mm-hmm. No. So why is why are people so up in arms? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, I mean, oh, go ahead. Sorry, no, no. Just to me, it's that gatekeeping that Matt was talking about. It's no, we can't have a bisexual person in Star Wars. But right. why not? Right, and, <laughs> they yeah, will I, be there. <laughs> right, and, you know, you even know, if, I, if, if someone never got peanut butter in your chocolate, we would not have Reese's Pieces right now. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, <laughs> even saying, I think even if you know, even if those those identities like bisexuality or other other um, sexual orientations um, do affect like a story in a significant way, it's it's interesting that people perceive that as problematic when so many marginalized people have had to play 
thousands of characters that in no way like represent them or the stories that they experience or, or any of those things. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's like, it's, it's amazing that it, people feel so hard pressed about maybe one time, very extremely rarely having to perhaps play through an experience that does not directly mirror their own in some way. But being uncomfortable mm-hmm. is how we grow. And also being able to play, you know, if we're talking at least in video games, it allows you to put yourself into somebody else's shoes mm-hmm. and sort of recognize really what's going on here. And that's, again, something that's needed. We need to have different perspectives in, all, in order to be or to become somewhat inclusive because yep. we can at least say, you know, we're, ne- we're, we're never myself. I will never say oh, I know what it's like because I have no freaking clue. And if I ever did say that, that's an injustice to the person across from me. (laughs) But what I will say is I am willing to listen. I'm willing to hear and I want to hear your story. Please tell me. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what it it could be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There, I cannot sit across from anybody and say, oh yeah, I've been through that. No, no, because I haven't been through it in your mind or what Mm -hmm. you're going through, your beliefs, your... Mm -hmm. I, I can go on. You haven't been so, through the the persecution or ge- the gentrification, right? Right. So to to have a game or to have any sort of medium where I can step into somebody else's shoes, even for a moment, and get a different perspective is not. <laughs> it's helpful. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not hurtful. I absolutely agree. I, I mean, even is even more impactful than just staying within the video game. Uh, pop culture, pop culture as well. Mm-hmm. Superheroes having that uh, inclusion as well there can yeah. be a huge catalyst to oh. empower somebody. To everyone mm-hmm. needs to have that person they can latch onto mm-hmm. and identify with. Um, I know it's not LGBTQ, LGBTQ, but Black Panther. When Black Panther won the movie and two the comic came out, people of color, certainly African Americans, really latched on to Black Panther. Mm-hmm. And well, it's the, the first real why, representation as a superhero, exactly. Mm-hmm. And why they were so hard hit when Chadwick Boseman passed. Unfortunately, it, he made that much of an impact. He played the character that they identified with mm-hmm. we need yeah. this type of representation mm-hmm. for everyone mm-hmm. absolutely and i i feel like i've seen like such a rise in at least on like twitter and other social medias of, of queer people becoming more and more involved in game development and community management and able to it's been nice to see some of these developers and companies see that, Oh, it's really important that we have like a queer person here or queer people here to, to help inform us, to make sure that we, we're, we're doing things correctly. We're representing things correctly. Um, and, and unfortunately we kind of like as, as marginalized communities, we have to put that kind of pressure on, on these developers to, to, to make sure that they, that they follow through with that. Yeah, voice and malcontent is the only way to push for change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, just uh, hosting our booth at uh, PAX East, uh, we shared a booth next to uh, a RAF from uh, Gamer New York City, Mm -hmm. their chapter. 
I don't know how many people came into the room with just so much joy in them that there was so much representation and that the diversity lounge actually existed and God. having a place for them to f just feel open and embraced by everybody and especially the gaming community at its mm -hmm. largest point and I think a lot of studios and other people that attended and exhibitors to attendees really appreciate that and see that as well. And that I'm not saying that is a main point, but that's definitely mm -hmm. something that probably helped tip the scales as well to mm -hmm. inclusion and having this representation. Mm -hmm. No, I, I absolutely agree. I love the diversity lounge. I can't tell you how much <laughs> I love seeing everybody. Everybody's so much fun in there and it's just so warm and welcoming. It really is. I, I miss Raph. I can't wait to see him again. <laughs> I miss conventions. You're making could me you, really miss conventions right now. Could you imagine <laughs> if there was a game studio that had set up like right outside or right next to the diversity lounge? My God, the mm. amount of traffic they would have gotten from so many Kickstarter was down close by. Were they? I don't remember. But yeah, you're right. There were a lot, so many people that were that that was their favorite part of the whole thing was the diversity lounge. And they were vocal about it, which is how I, I knew that they were really excited about having that inclusion and representation at PAX each a, mm -hmm. a convention of that scale, ha making a point to have this representation there for the gaming community and individuals in it is amazing. And yes. And again, I, I, if you, if you think about it, just by that statement alone, how many people came through the diversity lounge shows again, the amount of people that would want to be represented in some games or yes. in mm -hmm. some pop culture or in anything, mm -hmm. you know, just that alone. If you if you had a if you had a counter, just how many people have gone into the diversity lounge? Doesn't matter who, but they're there for. They're there because they they felt accepted, right? Mm -hmm. There was a section within all of this, you know, in in all of in all of packs of all of Boston, there is a mm -hmm. section where I matter. I'm included. Mm -hmm. I'm represented. Mm -hmm. So of course it's going to get the most traffic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People want yeah. to be where they feel comfortable, where they feel included. Um, yeah. An example I can give, it, not necessarily on the same topic, but the the city where I live in and the university I went to, uh, we have three campuses throughout our province. So a lot of people from the other two campuses, they only do like a year or two there and then come to the main campus for the, the final years. Hmm. But oftentimes they will come to the main campus and stick with the groups they have formed from the other campuses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they will stick with the people that come from where they're, they're born or where they grew up. Mm -hmm. So they'll kind of continue these small groups, even in this new city. Well, we are just, Sophisticated pack animals. <laughs> well, that's yeah. just breaking it down. I mean, geez. <laughs> it, it's true. <laughs> I was just about to say, it's, it's true. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think it's especially true for marginalized community. And I feel like empirical work in that area has has brought that data out that uh-huh. a big piece of minority coping is a minority sense of community and, and connectedness mm-hmm. to that community. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just absolutely pivotal to to have those intentional spaces where people who have shared experiences, shared identities can meet one another and, and begin to form those communities. Well, com- comfort and safety. That's one of the base needs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and absolutely. Uh, so where do you feel we should head or steps that should be taken? Not necessarily in the long term, but in the short mm-hmm. term, these kind of first few small steps we should take. That's a good question. As a sort of like sitting with that, you know, I just, uh, I feel like it's so important that we keep seeing more and more diverse people being involved in in game development and in in community management and building. Um, You know, we've talked obviously about sort of queerness kind of generally, but obviously like if we include race, there's a humongous amount of intersectionality between all of these different identities. And I think the more of that intersectionality we can bring into game development and gaming communities to really openly display that gaming truly is for everyone. Um, I, I think that's just such a pivotal piece for the future. The more inclusion we have, the better things can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love it. Oh, again, it makes me think of well, not necessarily the, the most interesting topics, but of statistics. Mm-hmm. If you want a, a good study, you need to hurts. have a good <laughs> representation mm-hmm. of the population that you're studying. Mm-hmm. Meaning, if it's skewed one way or another, you're not going to have the results that really speak to you. You need to have these cross sections of races, genders, sex, everything. Mm-hmm. Which cyberpunk right. really crutched on their character creation mm-hmm. to the 10th degree. I mean, they had lofty expectations anything. and goals. <laughs> yeah, that they did. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Rome wasn't built in a day, you know. So neither was they Cyberpunk. Have, so they, they should have um, delayed that game another year. We we waited eight years. We can wait another. Rome may not have been built in a day, but it sure could be burned down in one. Yeah, and that is a perfect analogy to day one Cyberpunk. Oh my god! Yeah. Ouch. Oh boy! Before before we go before we go on that train because we can because <laughs> we will <laughs> we will jokingly before we started I said I got I, I finally got my hands in a thirty seventy and the first thing I thought I was like hmm I can play cyberpunk and then my friend told me well not in four K or potentially not even in thirty frames per second I was like okay <laughs> so mm-hmm. just don't play it <laughs> just don't buy it yeah they yeah. Uh, do you guys follow um, Linus Tech Tips. Well, he's yes. a tech YouTuber. He no. tried to play um, Cyberpunk with a 3090 at, what was it, 8K? And it ran at like seven frames a second. <laughs> but, it, but it ran. Wow. It ran at seven. And then he, I think yeah, he, it's, my God. At 4K was running like 30 ish. But that's wow. a 3090. It's a, like a, what, $1,500 card? Yeah. My God, I get those frame rates on Destiny on low settings on my laptop. 
I think it. it good. I just on on the I'm I'm no good on the tech side to be honest with you, but clearly there's they just needed. It was completely rushed. Yeah, I read I read a lot of articles too that they really had the mindset sort of kind of bringing it back to psychology and mental health. Mm -hmm. They really sort of had this mindset of we made The Witcher, we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. We'll fix it later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. and it just but it didn't work because they also like they they made The Witcher themselves. That Mm -hmm. and they but they put themselves (laughs) on this pedestal that was almost like a bank we're too big to fail and boy did they get a wake-up call they are not chase or uh, wells fargo so they they had the Oof. good graces of the community because they made the witcher but they also had the lofty expectations of the community because they made the witcher right and then the other problem is that they probably just figured oh it's fine we can send a patch out on the internet you know we don't have to. We don't have to worry about it if it if it's broken. We can patch it. It's fine. Whereas yeah, that's, that's six, fine. Seven, six seven years ago, if you got a game and it was broken, you were like, "This game's broken. It doesn't work. Why am I going to bother playing it?" There was no online patches. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, just to go way out into left field. Uh, oh boy! If if <laughs> if we check back no. in in May, are you going to have the Mardi Gras tree still up? Christmas in Hopefully May. Hopefully, it'll be like Cinco um, de Mayo. Yeah, like a Valentine's Day tree. I love it. I love it. Patrick's Day tree, something like that. You know, hey, St. Patrick's Day Day tree is easy. Just turn the lights off. It's already right. Yeah, perfect. Right, right. Super easy. You throw some fake (laughs) pictures of beer on there, and you're good. Perfect. (laughs) Then it may can be a May the Fourth tree. (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Put ears on big at Gragu. My gosh. Do you have any any pets or anything that you have to worry about, like climbing up the tree? Any cats, anything like that? Fortunately, no? not. I have a I have a miniature labradoodle who's like twenty pounds. Um, but fortunately, she's not really interested in it. So no, no, I have to worry about unless it. Like, it's smaller than my doodle. <laughs> <laughs> I have a yeah. burner doodle that's oh, wow. eighty five pounds. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I have I have four cats that'll eat garland. <laughs> <laughs> Makes oh. the vet bills too expensive. Have they ever ate <laughs> tinsel? There we go. All right. I can't. Just have the visual, visualization in the mind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a derailment right there. Uh, <laughs> it's what we do. Wait, do we right. derail on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this is just this is just gonna be 10 minutes. Joe is gonna cut from the cut from the podcast. <laughs> in essence, we're just making more work for Joe, so we should continue. <laughs> Oh boy. I love I mean, you all so much. <laughs> no. That was meant that was meant to me, guys. <laughs> no, I love it. But I, I think we're we're towards the end of the episode. Yeah. No. Because this topic can like many of the other topics that we have, it's not a start and stop type of topic. It's mm-hmm. a start and let's continue the conversation later on and continue the conversation going Mm -hmm. the one thing i'm going to ask i know joe called for the end sign but something just popped in my head what is the best way for somebody like myself who doesn't have the experiences or that knowledge how is the best way to advocate for that more for more inclusion for more um representation in 
in media? Like, what is the best way that I could do something like that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I think a really simple thing that anyone can do. I think, you know, we, most all of us like, you know, consume social media pretty regularly. I -hmm. think, you know, integrating queerness in whatever way that looks, if that's, if that's following queer content creators or people that just um, are advocates themselves or organizations, like these different people are, are constantly bringing up these issues and having these really important conversations and i think um like we were talking about earlier that that feel that sensation of discomfort or uncomfortability mm-hmm. is so important because that means that we're growing we're stretching um and so i think that in and of itself can be such a such an easy um way to sort of begin participating in in those like valuable conversations mm-hmm. to start learning more because i know for me as a therapist going through ally training Mm-hmm. I found was really important because one, I'm a cis white male, mm-hmm. so I, I have all the privileges. But it's important for me to learn about the people that I'm going to be working with. That mm-hmm. I need to to learn what they go through, to learn all of the terminology, to to mm-hmm. make sure that I can be there for them mm-hmm. the way that they need me to be. Yeah, absolutely, and I, you know I think. I've noticed this with like the mental health chats I do on my stream is that I think for a lot of LGBTQ people, there's kind of like a, I don't know if mistrust is the right word, but like a healthy amount of suspicion when it comes to seeing a new mental health provider, because there's this constant worry that like, well, am I going to sit down and this person's going to want to suddenly change my sexual orientation or identity or right. is going to yeah. be prejudicial or discriminatory. And unfortunately, like those things happen, like they still happen. Mm-hmm. Um and so like a lot of things we talk about is like, how to identify like a queer friendly therapist or a queer friendly mental health provider or space or whatever. And so I think like things like Alice training are great. Cause usually I think they give you like a placard of some kind or something that you can sort of display as yeah, like, I, for I, us, it was yeah. like a, we have a sticker on our front door yeah. that says ally <laughs> and so yeah. the entire, the entire clinic has it. And so, yeah. And I, I can't overstate enough how important visible signs like that are for for those of us in our community to see before ever like interacting with anybody or anything like that that like they're clearly openly saying like that this is a welcome space um for me to be and so that's, that's, even, funny. that's something that's lo- lost on me being out here in you know uh california los angeles sure not hard to find a a uh, ally for, you know ally mm-hmm. therapist i can't imagine yeah. that's as uh, commonplace in mississippi mm-hmm uh, and I, I I hate to say it, it's it's but it's also not commonplace like even in some not to get political Joe don't hurt me but it's also not even some <laughs> it's not even commonplace in some blue states mm-hmm. which are sure. more liberal you would think so mm-hmm. it, it's um it, that symbol I I remember the ally training that I that I participated in when I was working at the hospital I believe they showed us a um, a movie that well not a movie but like a uh, like a like a five-minute video. video yeah mm-hmm. thank you the word is not coming to me <laughs> but it was it was of La- laverne cox i believe who mm-hmm. was trying to find a doctor and mm-hmm. it was a lot about the medical paperwork what it didn't have you know and then the, the magical place, and that's how it was represented in in, in the film that she did, mm-hmm. was one that had um, a pride flag on 
right on the door, huge. Mm-hmm. The questions were very, you know, specific uh, as to what she identified as things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it's, it, it's, I, I, it's, it is as, as blue state as I live in, it's not as common, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like for me, one thing that, that I use is uh, I use a, a practice management software. Uh, it's called Owl Practice uh, up here in, in Canada. And one thing that I love is when I have a new client, I send them an online intake form mm-hmm. rather than them sitting in my office filling out paperwork because COVID. <laughs> yeah. But setting mm-hmm. the, the online intake form, there is a spot that says gender identity mm-hmm. and preferred name. Yeah, to, I mean, to me, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's massive because you you know, I mean, for I think for for so many of us, um, like seeing a dichotomy of like check male or female or you know like that is so mm-hmm. like we see that every day like in every you know medical yeah. settings, other settings, and so so to see that that difference is so stark and it's so like you said so important and valuable to it's such an easy way to signal mm-hmm. pretty immediately like this is a a good space. And the way that the the software works is anything that is not legal or tax purposes Mm -hmm. uses their identified name. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. what is like a receipt or anything that has to be given to an insurance company that they need to use their legal name will have their legal name on it. Mm -hmm. But their preferred name is going to be everywhere else. Right. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. I thank you. For, I know we, we of course, as we do here on this podcast, <laughs> we completely uh, not went off topic, but we just made a quick statement into a twenty-minute statement, which Joe will. Joe took a detour. Magic, which with Joe with with his magic will make five minutes, and it'll sound amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Um, but I, I took appreciate a detour you on the scenic route <laughs> because, like I said, I do think even my as a mental health professional as a social worker it, it is still good for me to kind of recognize what i could be doing or what others could be doing to sort of continue to push this this message of inclusivity um forward so thank you yeah absolutely yeah. trying to be better and improving yourself is always a good thing mm-hmm. yes it is because lord knows i am not perfect and i'm okay <laughs> with that but on that note uh, thank you so much for coming on the show dr grizzly it was great having a chat with you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Please. Where um, can everyone uh, see your, your everythings? <laughs> sure. So, I mean, like I, I have my own website. It's drgrizzly.tv. Uh, but but typically my, my main page is twitch.tv slash drgrizzly. So D-R-G-R-Z-L-Y. Um, and so I stream Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, sorry, at 730 Central. And Sundays at 330 Central. And Sunday is typically my more mental health oriented day where I, I have this that system where people can ask anonymous mental health questions and we have those very meaningful discussions. Um but yeah, so that's where that's where I can be found throughout the week. Fantastic. Thanks. Perfect. I'll be tuning in. Yeah, please do. <laughs> I'm I'll try to wander over if the kids <laughs> let me. Sure. <laughs> It's always kid dependent, right? <laughs> one of these days, one of these nights, I, I'll I'll reach out and see if you can lead me into a dead by daylight match. Absolutely, be happy to. Yeah, but you yeah, let kill, me know. Too. I can't be the first one you kill. You right. gotta let me go at least two or three in. I'll survive with you. Oh, okay. I volunteer as tribute. If, if you can kill me, it's fine. I'm, just gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. 
I'm going to follow you, but I'll trip you if you get ahead of me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here we go. Next staff night. Thinking like a true yeah, survivor that Joe. That's wow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of scary movies and a lot of comedy acts, and that's the way to, way to survive right there. No. Uh, so basically it's gonna be army. It's of not hide behind the chainsaws. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I remember the commercial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But there's a running car. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, (laughs) thank you, everybody, for listening to the Guardians Mental Health Podcast. If you can, please leave us a review on iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really does help spread the podcast around to others who may not normally have uh, come across us. Um, This week, we really want to give a huge shout out to uh, Miss Taven TV. Their whole team of amazing, amazing streamers is doing a charity stream for Guardians MH. So please go take a look at their Twitter at Mist Haven TV for their schedule. They're going to be going all throughout this weekend with some amazing streamers, yes. amazing content. Please go show go show them some love. Uh, keep up do. to date with everything we're doing here over at GuardiansMH.org. Follow us on Twitter at GuardiansMH. Join our partner Discord server at discord.gg slash guardiansmh, where we provide peer support, mental health resources, and really just a chill community. Um, If you are able to, please feel free to donate to our nonprofit at tiltify.com slash guardiansmh. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash gmh mental health kits and our Ko-Fi or coffee, as Nate's going to correct me in a second. Um, (laughs) coffee.com slash guardians mh these support our mental health kits which keep them free for those who request uh links will also be provided in the podcast description as well if you guys want to continue to help uh our (laughs) our organization and wear some just straight fire merch it is comfortable as hell uh go to bonfire.com slash store slash guardians mh you can pick up some amazing merch. It's super comfy. I wear my podcast shirt all the time. Like and wicked you should soft. too. It's wicked. So mm. I can't say wicked. I'm from New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's illegal. I'm a Yankee fan. Goddamn. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's all for plugs. <laughs> Joe's gonna edit out all. Of that. All right. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everybody. 